Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jimmy. How are you doing today? I'm great. Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. So it's been sort of a slow news week this week. There's not really much going on. But one of the biggest topics that everyone's talking about is the NBA looking to possibly reopen in Orlando, Florida, which obviously they are owned by the Disney company. So that is where they are, their main location. They are looking to open down there. Not really any specifics are known on if they're putting all the teams in, if they're going to do like a, if they're going to change the seating and do it just top. 16 teams if it's going to be just playoffs again not really anything is known at this point jimmy what are your thoughts on the nba possibly reopening when trying to finish their season off yeah i'm fascinated to see how this is going to go and what kind of rules they're going to put in place for this they call it a bubble concept but Mm -hmm. learning more information about it it's not a true bubble as players are allowed to leave and family and friends are allowed to enter and leave yeah so it's really not a bubble it's basically just like regular society so Mm -hmm. there is no quarantining going on so people are going to be exposed to people from the outside world so it'll be interesting to see what kind of restrictions players the staff the coaches have on leaving the area how Mm. often they're able to leave and then really is what's interesting to me is how often they're going to be tested and how they're going to be tested yeah that's the biggest thing so a lot of people think they're going to have to test players every day uh sort of interesting about the whole testing thing testing requires some patient compliance because it's either oral or nasal swab and you have to stick the nasal swab pretty far back there to get as low of a false negative rate as possible Mm -hmm. Other tests like blood tests or urine tests don't require compliance, but the nasal swab does require compliance. Now, normal people in society, you want the test to be positive if you are actually positive. You want to know for sure. Yeah. Well, NBA players who are in this bubble, who are young, who are healthy, who maybe aren't really worried, even if they have COVID, they're not necessarily going to want to test positive because that means they're going to be sideline for two to three weeks maybe get some teammates sideline cause issues Mm -hmm. with the games so it's sort of this weird conflict of interest here where players and teams might not want to have positive tests so the compliance to getting that nasal swab done properly might not be as high as you'd see in the general population. Yeah, and that's going to be the biggest thing, honestly, is like you said, if somebody does test positive, how is that going to be a ripple of effect of how many people has he been in contact with his team? Has he infected anyone with his team? Then, And like you even said, if they're testing every single day, what if one person tests positive and the next day five people test positive and then so on, and then they're playing with the ball, the same ball, and then the opposite team? It's uh, It's... It's a whole, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out if they actually do go through and play the whole thing. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating once a player tests positive. So what do you do? Do you, you definitely quarantine that guy, put him mm-hmm. out for a couple of weeks. But what do you do about all the people he was in contact with in the past one to five days or so? Exactly. Are you going to have to quarantine all those people? Are you going to have to quarantine the team that he played last so that's all fascinating and one thing that we need to realize is getting a negative test doesn't mean that that person shouldn't be quarantined there's something called clinical suspicion as a doctor if somebody has a high clinical suspicion for being covid positive meaning 
They either have the classic symptoms or they're in close contact with somebody who did test positive. Well, even if the test came back negative, a doctor will often want to treat that person as if they have COVID. Mm-hmm. So is the doctor going to have the power to say, hey, listen, LeBron has the classic symptoms for COVID. Okay, he tested negative today, but there's a decent chance he has COVID. We should quarantine him for a little bit. Is a doctor going to have that power to sideline a player? Right. That's going to be, like you said, LeBron James, uh, Anthony Davis, big players like that. Are they going to be told not to play when they're still testing negative but showing symptoms under the you said the doctor is strongly recommending against them playing. So it's going to be interesting to play. And again, you might know a little bit more about this than I do, but I know Florida has been open for a couple of weeks now, and I'm not too sure on their numbers if they have been increased, if the death rate or cases have gone up since they've been open, or if they're still around, staying around the same or declining in that aspect. Yeah, I'm not sure about Florida. I haven't been following that state very closely. Yeah. I mean, so that'd be interesting to look at, too, that they're not in a bubble. They'd just be sort of living out in society like normal. So, again, I guess it'd be interesting to look at that and see how that might be why they're looking at somewhere like Florida, because their numbers might be down again. I'm, I haven't really looked into that myself either. So, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. But all right. Moving on. The next biggest thing in the news this week, we have the NFL talking about the possible rule changes. And the biggest thing that they have that is on up for debate is the possible alternative option to an onside kick, which would bring up a fourth and 15 on the opposing team's 25-yard line. And again, get basically one shot, and you'd only get this to use this twice a game. And initially, it was specified that you'd only be able to use it if you were trailing, but now it is specified that you can use it anytime, whether you're ahead or behind. What are your thoughts on this or any of the other proposed rule changes? Yeah, the onside kick alternative is really interesting with any kind of rule change the first thing i look for is unintended consequences because it's easy to look at the benefits of it but we need to really dig deep to see what are the problems with it that might develop mm-hmm. well the current onside kick is a very clean play from an officiating standpoint there aren't a lot of penalties that can be called it's pretty obvious of uh, which way it's going to go. If the kicking team recovers it, they get the ball. Okay, it's obvious. Not a lot of penalties. However, with the 4th and 15 play, that's a dirty play in comparison. (laughs) There are so many penalties that can be called. It's such Mm. a difficult play to officiate. So how Mm. do you deal with the penalties that give a team a free first down? Like the illegal contact penalty, which is 5 yards and a first down. How do you deal with all these gray area judgment calls like pass interference, which often are 50-50 coin flips. And you're going to have the success of this onside play dependent on a 50-50 coin flip official call. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's a little bit concerning. Yeah, I completely agree. And I don't think they really go into specifics on if something like that were to happen to say they get a roughing the passer, it's what a 15 yard penalty. So is that still, is that going to make it a first down and they get to keep the ball or does that negate the whole rule or again, or do they still, are they at fourth and whatever one that they haven't really specified anything like that. So we're not sure what type of circumstances like that, whether penalties can interfere with the point of play yeah that's a good point we see the ticky tack rushing the pat roughing the passer calls it's like you would hate to see a game decided because of such a ticky tack call like that mm-hmm. or as we saw last year in the green bay game that 
tray flower with right. hands to the face, all that ridiculous stuff exactly. like that, just like that to ruin a game. Yeah, so that's my main concern with this 4th and 15 play. But I do applaud the NFL to come up with some ideas to try to make the play a little bit more exciting and a little bit more valuable. Mm-hmm. They also have completely scrapped the entire pass interference replay rule. They said it was very ineffective, but as everyone knows, oh, there were so many that should have been overturned when they didn't. I, I don't think they did a single one, if I'm correct. Well, they did overturn quite a few, but it was so inconsistent that yes. from week to week, coaches and fans had no idea are they going to be strict about it this week or are they going to be relaxed about it so no one had any clue and consistency is what's essential with officiating and there was no consistency from Mm -hmm. that standpoint yeah again that's the biggest thing you go back to what is a catch nobody still knows what a catch is anymore because no they're not calling that consistently at all so i do like the rule change they made with the catch uh, that they implemented in the past year or two. I feel like that has cleared up the catch a little bit. Yeah. Either having the third foot down or making any kind of football move or having time to make a football move. I do feel like that has clarified things a bit. Mm-hmm. So I give the credit to the NFL for uh, making that rule change effective. Yeah, so they have improved a little bit, but I'm still just salty about the whole Calvin Johnson <laughs> catch back in the day. Yeah, yeah, we are salty about that one. <laughs> yeah. One other rule change is that's proposed. They're talking about adding a booth umpire, which would essentially be like a sky cam officiating type official. Yeah. So I guess, well, do you think that would benefit the game at all? I personally think that would help a lot. Again, when it comes down to those like pass interference calls or the uh maybe not so much those hands to the face because they're more far away but some of those like pass plays that it's hard to tell right on the in the catch in the blink of an eye if you're up in the sky it's a little bit easier to see possibly so what are your thoughts on that yeah i like it in general uh it's not going to be perfect but in general Mm -hmm. i like it they're going to have access to replays so stuff that we see as fans on replay that are obvious the booth umpire is going to be able to see it also and be able to yeah. correct it hopefully right away mm-hmm. the issue is there is going to be controversy with it because from week to week the booth umpire may correct something in one game but not correcting a different game so you're going to get these controversial things and controversial uh, issues that develop but overall as long as fans are willing to accept that officiating is not perfect and it's not going to be perfect from game to game i think it's a Mm -hmm. good thing to have there's again with new changes it always going to have some tweaks they got to work in and out but hopefully like you said they can just be consistent and hopefully it will save a lot of games from being called badly and have instead of on monday talking about bad officiating we'll be talking about how well they played and the interesting thing about the booth official is i highly suspect in the past two three years they've already been doing that a Mm. lot of times you'll see the officials huddle up right now after a call you see them just huddling for 30 to 60 seconds they're actually talking to some sky judge or somebody back in new york already Mm -hmm. who's giving them information about the replay then you see a call get reversed and it's like okay yeah somebody was talking to them yeah for sure so is there any other rule changes that you wanted to talk about yeah they're gonna increase the ir designated to return from two currently to three Hmm. uh so i thought that was probably a good thing the reason they don't want it to be just unlimited or too many is you don't want teams to stash healthy players yeah just endlessly on ir Mm -hmm. but i do like the idea of having a limited amount to return now as lions fans 
remember back in the Charles Rogers, uh, back in the Charles Rogers day, remember he got hurt the first two years, broke a collarbone early on in the season, both his first two years. Back then, there was no such thing as IR designated to return. So Mm -hmm. the Lions put him on IR immediately after each injury, which means he was done until the very next year. I feel like that was one of the possible reasons his career went down the tubes, Uh, especially after the second collarbone injury when he hurt in his very first game back. I really had hoped that they were going to leave him on the roster and try to get him back for the last two, three, four games of the season just to keep him mentally in it. Right. Because Charles Rogers was a guy who was mentally not the strongest individual. He was prone to marijuana abuse, and he admitted as much. And he, he might have been just a little bit of a lazy worker just in general. So having him in a structured team situation throughout the whole year might have allowed him to keep his career on track yeah it's totally interesting to look at the rule changes from today to the past to see how it affected players entire career and how ultimately they could have been changed if they were were playing in a different era of the nfl yeah another thing i wanted to ask you about is uh the nfl is looking to extend the ea sports video game exclusivity for five more years do you Mm -hmm. play madden or any football games i do i uh i play both M- uh, nba 2k and madden pretty much every single year like really religiously yeah i always say i'm not gonna get it and then they end up going on sale and i miss playing madden i miss playing nba so i just pick it up for 30 20 bucks or whatever if after a while i never usually get them at full price but i always yeah. end up getting them and playing them for a little while and yeah i also heard that they gave 2k some licensing rights for the nfl but they're not going to be just simulation games like Madden's. There, so they're going to be like probably huh. an arcade type football style game. Okay. So yeah, I always hated the exclusivity with mm-hmm. EA Sports because I really would like to see more NFL video games out there. Because I'm not a fan of Madden. I feel like it's just way too complicated for just a casual gamer to pick up or mm-hmm. to play against somebody else. Yep. So it'd be nice if there was no exclusivity with the NFL. Yeah, exactly. Like I mentioned, there's a new deal with 2K. I don't know how long it is or if it's like a certain game amount or something, but they're going to be coming out with more of a, like I said, type of arcade style. So maybe that might be something you'll be into. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out for that. It's going to be interesting yeah. to see what they have coming out in the next couple of years, too. Do you remember the NFL Blitz game they had mm-hmm. many That's years what- ago? It was like this two-on-two game where players were just killing each other (laughs) yeah so maybe it'll be something like that that's what i was gonna say i totally remember that game or the nfl street too there was that one out that was kind of a little bit more arcadey and more fun style like that so yeah they might be taking that type of approach too which so again it'll be fun to play a football game that's not just madden over and over again also last couple weeks ago not a couple i think about a week ago stafford had a press conference as a day before he ended up putting his house up for sale which everyone ended up freaking out about he had a few little uh tidbits in there did you have any comments you wanted to mention on his press conference yeah well first of all i don't think it's coincidence that the presser was done a day before his house got listed mm-hmm. stafford i feel like is a genius when he when it comes to dealing with the media he's able to talk endlessly without ever saying anything controversial <laughs> or anything negative mm-hmm. uh the likelihood of reporters getting anything interesting out of a stafford press conference is about the same as them tackling deandre swift in the open <laughs> field so nice. but there were a couple of things that i thought were interesting mildly uh he's throwing with amandola galladay swift cephas and nada mm-hmm. so it's great to see that 
Uh, it's interesting to see that he's, he's throwing a lot with DeAndre Swift. I expect Swift to catch a ton of passes in his career in this sort of Theo Riddick role. Stafford was able to use Theo Riddick so well. This guy who's sort of limited in terms of speed and athleticism was able to catch 80 balls a year and have an incredibly impactful role. Mm-hmm. And DeAndre could be just an enhanced Theo Riddick, just faster, bigger. And the way DeAndre sticks his right foot in the ground, just jabs and makes cuts, reminds me a lot of Theo Riddick. Yeah. Theo Riddick was a little bit more elusive than people give him credit for. He had some plays where he jukes some people out. But yeah, DeAndre Swift is definitely Theo Riddick on steroids for sure. He's got way more elusiveness and way more speed than Theo Riddick ever had. Yeah. And another thing that Stafford mentioned was he's, he's stopped licking his hands during some of these practices <laughs> with other players. And as a medical professional, I fully support what he's doing you can't be too careful and going forwards i also plan to stop licking matthew stafford's hands <laughs> well that's good i hope we can all make a contribution to stop licking people's hands but um so moving on the next topic i wanted to mention about today the lions have been getting a little bit of love around the league from uh, national reporters and surprisingly pff graded all the nfl teams receiving cores and they ranked the lions at six overall it finally seems that the nation's finally realizing how dangerous the combination of jones and galladay really are especially considering galladay is ranked fifth in contested catches since 2017 with 49 and jones is ranked eighth with 42 so they're both in the top 10 and again as you you just mentioned with the addition of DeAndre Swift, who people claim was the best receiving back in this year's draft. And we also forgot to mention Danny Amendola and hopefully a rising TJ Hawkinson coming up this year. It's only going to bolster the talented receiving group. So as long as health is on our side, they could even go higher in hopefully the rankings next year. Do you kind of agree with PFF's assessment of our receiving group? Yeah, I agree with it. When you look at the top five, the Lions stack up very well. Number one was Tampa Bay with Chris Godwin, Mike Edmonds, Gronk, O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait. Yeah, yeah. Can't really argue and, that. Yeah, but you got guys like Gronk who already retired, O.J. <laughs> Howard who's been a little bit of a disappointment. So even the number one ranked team, it's not like they're just rock solid and just Pro Bowlers, Hall of Famers across the board there. There really isn't. Number two is the Chiefs with Tyreek Hill and Kelsey. That's extremely strong, the top two. They also have Sammy Watkins and McCole Hardman. Yeah. So that one makes sense. Number three was the Cowboys with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and then a rookie C.D. Lamb. That Yeah, so, that one I'm not too for sure about if they deserve to be ranked that high. Yeah, so the Lions really stack up well with Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, Amendola, TJ Hawkinson. You got mm-hmm. guys like Marvin Hall as a deep threat. Mm-hmm. So Lions are pretty very good shape as far as the wide receivers. Yeah, again, people forget about Marvin Hall all the time, who it's like he didn't show up a lot, but when he showed up, it was big. He had huge, I think he averaged, what was it, like 30 or 40 yards a catch last year, something like that? Yeah, he caught a 10-yard pass that brought his average down by like 10 oh. yards. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that guy was amazing. His ability to track the ball in the air and make tough catches was just mind-blowing for a guy that they just got off the street. Yeah, exactly. So people forget about him. I Yeah, I think our wide receiver group is one, probably top three, to be honest, because 
they all have veteran leadership. Marvin Jones is a proven veteran. Galladay's been in the league three years now. He knows what he's doing. They, and again, this is TJ Hawkinson's second year. The youngest player is DeAndre Swift, but judging by his experience, he should fit right in. And again, Stafford's already working with him, so hopefully he should just fit right in with the offense, and they should be a very very good group yeah and don't sleep on Kerryon johnson who has really good hands and i think sometimes we forget about that yeah i'll never forget that one play from last year where he caught it juggled the ball and still ended up catching and running for that big play i forget yeah. who it was against but it was earlier in the year yeah he's made some really good impressive catches during his time here yeah he has too so he's a pretty good receiving back as well but um yeah, it's going to be real interesting. And if you forget, the last year one Stafford went out and it was David Blau and Jeff Driscoll, they still did pretty well. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, they all stepped up. It wasn't our offense that was struggling last year. It was our defense that was sort of struggling. But again, Stafford does make a huge difference with the deep balls and everything like that. Yeah, you make a good point. The way to tell how good a wide receiver is is how good is he after the starter leaves. That's one reason I'll always hugely admire DeAndre Hopkins because early in his career, he had some of the worst quarterbacks throwing to him and he still put up monster numbers every year till he finally got Deshaun Watson. I think it was, what, four years? four Yeah, three or four years after he uh, Hopkins was in the league, he got Deshaun Watson, so... But yeah, again, he's always been a monster no matter who was throwing him the ball. And then moving on, speaking about DeAndre Swift, the PFF also ranked the best situations for running backs in this com- upcoming year, and they ended up ranking Swift at number six. So it also appears not only Lions fans, but national media is excited for DeAndre Swift this upcoming year. And they also pointed out on Johnson's decline due to injury the last couple of years and how the O-line was top 10 in blocking last year. I mean, we have lost Glasgow, but... So, I mean, are you excited for DeAndre Swift? I know we were just kind of talking about him, but do you think he's going to live up to the hype, or do you think he's going to kind of have a slow start to his career? Well, he's going to get a tongue opportunity. We know that Stafford loves throwing to the running backs, and we Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that he made Theo Riddick into this incredibly impactful player. Mm -hmm. And Swift is probably going to get most of the carries and most of the opportunities he's going to be the starter in my opinion from day one over carry on they're all going to get tons of carries and tons of time but swift drafted in the early second round he's gonna be the presumptive starter yeah i again i think he can live up to the hype it's just and i hope we do kind of do start him off as a running back by committee because you don't want to start him off in his career running him into the ground and just running up his attempts you want to kind of split it evenly with carry on johnson so he doesn't get wore out early in his career because if we want to make him a featured back we want to make him have a a steady career yeah i agree with that running back by committee is the way to go these days Mm -hmm. and especially you and you've alluded to in a previous episode with the expansion going to 17 games and running backs already struggling to stay healthy for 16 games it's definitely a good to have a two to three decent running backs on your team that can stay healthy and make it throughout the whole season with playoffs extended too if we get to that point yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so we will uh, end today's show. The last topic we want to talk about is the Lions' strength of schedule. With, with the schedules being released a couple weeks ago, the Lions are tied for fifth with the toughest schedule, strength of schedule, with opponents' records combined being 134 to 121 to 1 last year. What are your overall thoughts on how they kind of evaluate the strength of schedule and what where the Lions are ranked? Well, there's a philosophical debate here about how to determine upcoming strength of schedule. Do you base it on the record 
last year of the teams? Or do you base it on Vegas futures over under for the win total? In my opinion, Vegas futures is probably the most accurate method because it accounts for extreme seasons or fluky seasons, as well as accounting for off-season changes, especially quarterback changes. So, for example, last year's Packers record was 13-3. and And as Lions fans, we watched a lot of the Packers games, and they were a little bit inflated in their record. They had a lot of last-second victories, including mm-hmm. two against the Lions. <laughs> their current Vegas win total is at 9. So their record is a bit overinflated. Contrasted with the Lions, the Lions record is probably a little underinflated because we lost our starting quarterback for half the year. Mm-hmm. We only had three and a half wins last year, and our uh, Vegas Futures win total is currently at 6.5. So we're three victories more than last year already. Nice. So I think the way to judge things is based on Vegas Futures. So with that in mind, how do the Lions rank? Well, Ross Tucker did a podcast uh, in the past week with Warren Sharp, who agrees with this Vegas future method of analyzing things. At about the 10-minute mark, he actually made a point to discuss the Lions and point them out as one of the teams that had one of the more difficult schedules last year, transitioning to one of the easiest schedules this year. So the Lions went from the sixth most difficult schedule last year to the eighth easiest this upcoming year. So they have a soft spot in the schedule with Jacksonville, the Falcons, Redskins, Panthers, and the Texans, all forecasted to be 500 or below. Mm. Uh, those That's five games in seven weeks for teams that are 500 or below. And Warren, this is paraphrasing Warren Sharp. He made that point on the podcast. So I think we can be a little bit more optimistic about the Lions' strength of schedule going forward. Yeah, I agree. I've always thought it was kind of a flawed um, system where you're looking at the last year's schedule because, again, there's so much that happens in an offseason, whether it's head coaching changes or you mentioned quarterback changes or, as in our case, like our entire defense has almost changed at this point. So there's so many changes that go into that. You can't always just look at the last year's teams because especially in the NFL, maybe in NBA, you can kind of judge off that. It's a little bit easier because teams are kind of more consistent in there. But in NFL, teams change. It's playoff teams are very seldom to remake the playoffs the following year. So besides the Patriots, obviously, but now that Tom Brady's gone, that's going to hopefully change. And I think the reason, a lot of the reason for that is the NFL is very random. So many games are coin flip games divided by seven points or less. Mm. So a 500 team can end up with a 13 and three record just because of luck. Exactly. And when you look at the Vegas win total feature, most teams are in that seven to nine range because there's just so much randomness and luck involved in all the games. Mm hmm. Yeah, like you said, there's so many games that come down to that last possession, that last two minutes in the game. So it could literally just be a, like a coin flip. Uh, anything can happen in those last two minutes. Again, with any team, we saw the Miami Dolphins beat the Patriots. Was it last year, or the year before, on that yep, crazy? They beat them last year, yeah. Or that I was talking that crazy play where they kept hand back. Uh, I can't uh, remember. Right, that was crazy with Gronkowski. pre-retirement trying to make that last tackle (laughs) yeah that's what i'm saying so it's pretty crazy like anything can happen against the best teams or any team in the nfl so so it looks like that's going to do it for today i want to thank everyone for tuning in we appreciate it and we will see you again next time